Miss Freydan, boys and girls, men and women, non-conformers and non-believers, gender X and gender equals, welcome to Eat the Storms, the poetry podcast. My name is Damien B. Donnelly and I am your host and producer and today on this special episode on Monday the 29th of August, my birthday currently celebrating 47, I am taking liberties here at the Storms in order to celebrate the release of my debut full collection, Enough, which was just published today by the Hedgehog Poetry Press. So whether you're joining us on Spotify, Apple, Anchor, Google, Breaker, Podbean, Player FM, Overcast, Pocketcast, Castbox, Podcast Addicts or iTunes in a Dublin pub, a British Greasy Spoon, a Dutch Side Canal Café, Eau Terrasse, a Paris. Today, I'm going to bring you on a journey through my life, love and all the lies in between with Paris. A journey that started when I was 22, when I left everything behind in Dublin, hopped on a plane to Paris with a one-way ticket where I knew no one, had no job, nowhere to live, had never studied the language and yet somehow I knew it was where I was meant to be. In truth, it possibly started a few years earlier than just buying that ticket. Not, as some may have imagined, when I started studying fashion design at the Grafton Academy here in Dublin, believing I was going to one day be a famous fashion designer, be interviewed on Canadian fashion TV by Jeannie Becker while clothing the world at obscene prices. No, it actually started in the cinema with my first introduction to Juliette Binoche, Christophe Kozlowski and the film Trois Colors Blue, Three Colors Blue. A film centred around the 5th arrondissement of Paris, Ernest Hemingway's Rue Muftar, that market street, where I would very soon come to set up my own home. Enough. My debut full collection is broken down into six sections. The leaning in, the living, the loving, the moving, the leaning out and the leaving. And so today, I'm going to start with the leaning in. Sitting in the IFC, the Irish Film Institute here in Dublin, when I was about 19 with my friend Ashling, who had purple hair, who introduced a green gilled Irish boy to the world of stillness, subtlety and mere suggestion that was le cinéma français. This is Eat the Storms à Paris. J'espère que vous passerez un bon moment avec mes souvenirs. Trois colères et moi. Three colours and me. After the film Trois colères bleu, starring Juliette Binoche. I was growing out of green when I first saw you in Dublin. Watching you brush bare knuckle across the cinematic screen. You. Sipping coffee in a corner cafe. Courting violin blues on a street not yet mine and me. Still trying to come out. To put away childish things. Trainers, retainers. Dressing up as cowboys and wondering why Indians wanted to survive. Stretching out over the vast arrays of nothingness 
In chaps, someone somewhere once thought were suitable for a kid. Still empty. Still trying to fill in bare spaces on pants, prints, persons, noticeable for nothing, rien, comme tu m'avais dit. From that big screen in a cinema where no one ate popcorn. You, looking for an apartment in the fifth, where I later came to sleep, shit, smoke, slip, to bash my own knuckles against banal and back again, to seduce ideas of being a somebody having already left everybody, even the concerning costumes. And those three colours that started out with you, back when I was green, though only in part, and coveting Julie. Perhaps a prophecy for the coming of the blue. Sometimes the endings are there to be seen, right at the very beginning. Leaving Ireland to me had seemed a relatively simple procedure. I hadn't even considered what I was leaving behind. At the time, I was more interested in where I was going, in what I was going to find, in who I was going to find. That freedom of being yourself in a place where no one knew you was one of the most attractive things I had put into that suitcase. However, of course, the thing you can't put into a suitcase are those attachments. Being an only child, an only adopted child, an only adopted child of a broken marriage was never going to be easy for the parent you were leaving behind. I still remember Dublin Airport. The neighbours I had long since left from my childhood who came to see me off, although in truth, they were really there for my mother. To support her and the beginning of her 23 years of what she herself entitled the agony and the ecstasy. The ecstasy of my return, tinged with the agony of knowing the minute I arrived there was already a countdown that had begun to when I was going to leave again. This next poem is about my mother's first arrival in my new home in Paris, a land so far removed from everything that she knew that it took a long time for her feathers to settle. This is called La Mère et le Petit Oiseau, The Mother and the Little Bird. For the mother. Sometimes the weakest are tossed out before their time, as if to test. When you're the only one raised in a bed of beginnings collected from other trees, you have to push yourself out or stay and choke. Young bird flees nest and no twig is long enough to bring him back. I think it's different concrete here, you said, when you came to collect observations of the new nest. 
as if considering the comfort of the ground should I fall so far from origin. You pushed beak bitterly against the wrong twigs, thinner twigs, foreign twigs you'd never felt against your feathers, clawing at curiosities in the cracks as if Paris's plumage needed pruning. When you finally stopped flapping and dusting and sticking shiny bits of tat into my early efforts at housekeeping, I took you one evening to the top of the tallest metal tree and drew for you a map of all the flights I'd planned to take and showed you the places I'd left markers to guide me home. Moving on now to the next section, which is called The Living. This poem is about George Syrah, the father of pointillism, the artist who spent many Sundays in Paris, on Ile de la Jatte, an island to the west of Paris where he painted his most famous painting, Dimoge d'après-midi à la Ile de la Grande Jatte, noticing everything that was commonplace. Perhaps it was the beginning of that Parisian pastime of just watching people, sitting au terrasse, smoking, always smoking sipping small glasses of beers or Kier Royales and smoking a little more and watching life pass by. George died in 1891. He was 31 and still unknown. His son died two weeks later and then his second son died in childbirth. He's buried to the east of Paris at the Perlachaise Cemetery, but is famed for all that he captured in the West, all that colour and light. My first few months in Paris, even though it was winter, were spent in parks, sitting in the shadows, hiding beneath orange-leaved trees, trying to capture art, petrified that I'd be captured myself. I guess it takes time to find our own colour. This poem is called Georges. Colour. He saw colour in a park. A simple park on a Sunday. Colour captured in the summer. Colour. He painted colour in that park. Clear, considered, untampered colour. Specks of colour. Rays of light in a park on a Sunday in the summer. In a season of details. In a salon of specifics. Under demands to cooperate. Colour. 
the sole collar, a canvas of light and colour, a carnival of colour in a park on people, simple people, working people, fishing people, fidgeting people, not polished people, not posh people. They buried him in a park, another park, a quieter park, still with colour and light. They buried him, and then they buried his son, and then another. Life then death, father and sons, children, and all that art. But only art survived. Part of the reason for moving away to Paris at 22 was getting away from the past. From a childhood that was spent being bullied, being called faggot, puffer, bender. Words of the time that no one really knew what they meant, but I was different. And I guess that made me stand out a mile. Going away to Paris made it easier to be myself because there was no expectation. No one was watching me. There was no one there who knew me. Because at 22, I had no idea who I was. Though there were plenty of people around me who had an opinion on who I was. I was creative and extremely shy. A boy who sat in corners and doodled and drove. Never really speaking up for himself. Behaving, obeying. And yet there was certainly a part of me that didn't want to behave. I wasn't a pet. Part of me wanted to find a way to be the beast. This next poem talks about Rudas Archive, which means Street of the Archives. It's a very gay street in the centre of Paris in Le Marais. It also refers to Alamette, which is the French word for matches. In fact, the title of this poem, Declare Votre Flamme, is a phrase that was on a packet of matches, Declare Your Flame, in the 1960s. The poem also refers to Anais Nin and Henry Miller, Nin being the famous diarist and Miller being the American erotic novelist who had a fantastic affair in Paris in the 14th near where I lived at one point. It also refers to Le Dumago, a famous restaurant in the very chic area of Saint-Germain-de-Prés. It refers to the Pompidou, which of course refers to the Centre Pompidou, the famous inside-out modern art gallery. It also references Aubuchamou, which is a hilly park on the edge of Paris near the 19th with many follies. And of course, it also refers to Edith Piaf, that famous French singer of the song No Regrets, Non, Je Ne Regrette Rien. And of course, this poem also refers to faggots or faggoting, a decorative stitch on the edge of a garment, usually holding two separate pieces of fabric together. And Nancy Boy, another term, negative term, for a puffer, bender, 
faggot, gay boy. Declare votre flamme, ripened Nancy boy. New to Ridders Archive, the scent of flesh finally in flame. Names cannot drown you after you've learned to swim. Faggoting only an edging now to wear on the cuff. Paris is a partnership in the early days of courtship. Learning how to cultivate an appetite for beauty despite the concrete corners its histories have taught to cut into a diamond that can never be set. Learning how to hold, how to be held, understanding when to plead for more and how to say enough before one is left to bleed while the left bank illuminates above the final droplets of inspiration. You do not tame the beast, but climb your way cautiously to the top on occasion, like Eiffel did, when every Parisian party pronounced him crazy, demanding submission to that overgrown erection. Now they can't get enough, but always err on the edge of aloof. Early on, it was all about being seen in the places of select. A la terrasse in Saint-Germain with the slow service of les magots, while lighting Galois sans filtre. Later, with sex less pegal performance and more interesting observation from Le Pompidou, we moved east, where she once sang of those regrets we never considered while lying breathless au bouchambeau, our tongues plunged into every folly. In the beginning, those archives. We evaded documents in beatnik basements, drawing closer to the definition of everything that turned into nothing like Nancy names that never drowned. But later, above ground, we hung away fancied faggoted cuffs to open diaries. As if we were all nins and you, Paris, smirking like a miller we thought we could never have enough of. Nubile, Nancy boy, new to Desalumet, the scent of flesh finally in flame. Moving on now to the moving section. This poem is all about cobblestones and shut Sundays and the rain falling. This is called Sasufi. That's enough. I remember rainstorms. 
and running through straight lines, flooding cobbled streets. Laughter carries louder under brawlings. Rises and falls back onto heads, onto faces, onto mouths like that rain, like lips, like tongues that taste of sweat and surrender. And that's something indescribable. That tiny space we save for later. When we admit to knowing while running that something was always missing. I remember rainstorms and running through all those shut Sundays of grey roofs and terracotta pots on steps that collected raindrops as if it knew already how much memory meant later, after. When the sun came out and there were no more brawlies to keep us together, I remember rainstorms and running along all those boulevards as if they were battlefields and the droplets were bullets. And I couldn't remember how to say that's enough in French. My time in Paris was split into two sections. The first from 22 to about 24, 25. Then I moved off to London and then to Amsterdam, only to move back again when I was 40. But in between, certainly in London and even in Amsterdam, I watched Paris from the distance, from more cinema screens, as she became more an illusion than real life. And that illusion over time became a lie when I moved back at 40, I wondered if I would recognise her. And never once did I think that she was so much a part of her own concrete that she had stopped changing centuries ago. And it was I who was different. And the we, of course, that we had been, was no longer the same. This next poem is called Destiny. It's sometimes far from fabulous, taking its first stone's throw of inspiration from the movie Amélie Poulain. Destiny, sometimes far from fabulous. It had dwindled slightly upon return. How quickly attraction fades afterwards. In the afterglow of so much naked, growing discomforts. Wondering how to lie your way out of the sheets and onto the streets. It had withered slightly upon return. All the wonder turned to wait. All those stones she had skimmed along Saint-Martin sank eventually. Not everything remains fabulous. 
There isn't an Amelie on every street thinking about Lady Di and painting paths for the blind after the crack of a creme brulee. It had faded slightly. Upon return, all of that guilt turned to greed in Montmartre. Now tourist-trapped and flattened down by the pressure of fame. Smothered by the kick of the can-can with its price which says now cannot. It had aged in the end into something more sedate. Something to be admired for what it was at once. A stained relic whose shiny surfaces once bounced with tossed stones when painters were percassos and the hills filled with the windmills and the green fairies and the stuff and nonsense. When writers couldn't afford to buy letters in order to spell the word cliché. It had dwindled slightly. Upon return. One of my favourite places to visit in Paris has always been Otoy, and especially the Jardin de Serre de Toy. The exceptional 18th century glass houses and botanic gardens. Now, these gardens are surrounded by the Roland Garros tennis courts. And every now and then, the tennis courts try to encroach in over the plants and the glass houses. Thankfully, they haven't managed to swallow them up yet. Thankfully. This poem is called Better Than, and it's after Leonard Cohen and the Jardin de Serre de Toy. Better than huge genitalia is something I can cup comfortably in the palm of my hand. I cannot spend all day riding the tower Eiffel left us. Hard and cold like a corpse, and often in the evening, ambivalent to competing stars, it tries to squash with the slim prick of its furthest reaching point. Better is the slow undress of bud into begonia under glass of heated house whose reflection catches all falling stars to the west of all that is no longer the centre of anything other than history next door to where they hit Brightly coloured balls, back and forth, all day 
long. Living in Paris is to accept hauntings as part of your daily life. Whether you're walking through Le Cimetière Père Lachaise with P.F. Wild Syrah, Rumuftar and its echoes of Hemingway, Grecian errors of Dalida in Montmartre, and then those traces left behind of loss, of longing, in places sometimes unexpected. When I lived in the 14th arrondissement of Paris, I was very close to a restaurant called Le Zaire that once tested the temperature of the heat that rose between Anais Nin and Henry Miller. This poem is called Soissante Rue d'Alizia, 62 Rue d'Alizia. I used to sit here, sipping cocktails I couldn't afford. Just because you sat here, years before me. Drinking lust from lips that weren't yours. I used to sit here. In the heady heat of all you had eaten of each other. Wondering if I stayed long enough. Would I be able to taste what it was like to devour all that desire? I used to come here to scribble down all I might one day forget. And I wondered if she forgot you as quickly as she turned the page to the next date in her diary. Speaking of love, lust, this next poem is called Propel and it's broken down into three sections. The bait, the bliss, and all the rest that lies in wait beyond. Propel. Bait. Young love wore a black beret before I'd even acquired a taste for the garlic. Desire. In the face of desolation was the fuel of youth and knowledge, or lack thereof, to its propeller. And I was propelled. Bliss. Years later, I still hold the perfume. Late night. 22, me, him, and a motorbike on the cobbles of the quarter Hemingway had left half-parched, Mushtar and its van de table and sandwich grec as I devoured leather-clad lover. On front of the bright lights of the dark night that danced like unsinkable stars along the Seine. 
and I could barely breathe. Beyond, we cut much later at every curve covered in concrete. I'd been duped by your solid structure, having let go of all that leather. All that gilding requiring so much guile to be cast upon. Something fell into the river while we licked the illusion. And in panic, I lost hold of all translation. We dined out, finally, on a meal that was as bitter on the palate as the distance we had come from those bright lights dancing. And for dessert, we tossed that first desire into the blades of the propeller. I was tucked up in a cosy armchair on Friday the 13th, Friday the 13th, November 2020, when the phone rang and my friend Saskia from America, checking in to see how I was doing, to make sure I was okay. I was in the 14th, which was a very settled neighbourhood in the south of Paris. Far from drama, usually. In the days that followed, in the weeks that followed, there was rarely a corner in any part of Paris that didn't feel the drama. This is called Some Things Open for a Reason. I wrote of slow-moving sorrow once, in November. On a dull day in November, when it should have rained. A Saturday in the supermarket, where we pushed trolleys down aisles that held everything that would eventually perish and nothing to replace what we'd lost in the night. All of us in a supermarket, a fraternity of frightened folk looking for ways to restock. Time turns and we're tribes, nodding to neighbours unknown, Taking note of people passing, of men on the metros next to us, across from us, watching us, watching them, watching, wishing to be seen before it's too late. People fucked more. Later. Afterwards looking for ways to carve the emptiness out of the inside, 
as if a tongue, a finger, or any old cock could revive all that had been since expired. Eventually, we grew tired of shopping, fucking, carving bigger holes into our voids. Eventually, after all the hours and the days and the weeks, we took polyfiller to all that had been emptied of ourselves, filling in the parts that for a time had opened up to change. There are signs to come in and others that are there to let you leave. And I think when Notre Dame caught on fire and I was packing up, it was in part like a sign to say it was time to go. Just before I read this poem, a little translation, means it's like as if someone died. And Les Bucanistes or the booksellers along the quays by the Seine selling fading old books. This poem is called When Notre Dame Came Falling Down. I'd started packing up places and folding them into pockets of dried time when I saw her burning. I was to the north of her centre at that time, upwind of the flames that were already ashes when they reached my tongue. I took communion there years earlier, taking the wafer onto that tongue that had yet to know the taste of ash. People came with novenas and cried as the stars turned on as if caught by the fires below and the river ran black as if already in mourning. C'est comme si quelqu'un était mort, someone said. As I pulled tape over another packed box, the river would carry downstream till it forgot its way back. They all stood there, on that street by the Seine, where Le Buchanist sold fading books that smelt of death while the ashes fell upon their heads. Their eyes, their lips, and their tongues. And so there we were, the grieving and the leaving, open-mouthed, desperate for one last taste of what we had believed to be eternal. Thank you.
And so now here I am back in Ireland, back to the green fields, to home. Not the same person who left, not the same person I was when I was away. Bits and pieces of all and everything. The love, the light, all those lies in between. When I first moved to Paris, I lived on a street called Rue de Mauvais Garçon, Street of the Bad Boys. Not far away from Rue de Bon Enfant, Street of the Good Children. This is called Wheat, Rue de Mauvais Garçon. I climb the ladder, pick discarded twigs from blocked gutter at the end of the roof where the slates swayed slightly in the storm these summer days have set upon us. Babies grown feathers and flown nests, their beds now fodder for winds to wash down these grey slates. Rotting and raining into gutters overflowing. Their home now. At the reach of their wingspan and not a chimney on a roof with gutters now gushing. I lived once. On the top floor of a hotel, in the darkest end of December and the beginning of a whole new breath. Rue Mauvais Garçon, Sacamance, c'est vrai que ce n'est pas le Rue des Bons Enfants. The balcony, under gutter was as economical with comfort as the thin pillows balancing on the large lumps in the small bed. But I sat there, in the twinkling of a Christmas morning in tatty jumper and smoked galois en filth, drinking champagne I'd nicked from the bar, wondering where to build my nest among the rooftops I watched, burning unsafe fires in chimneys as clogged as black lungs and too small to hold even a fragile feather. I wonder if someone watches now from a balcony in Le Marais or across the grass of Belleville's rien and the rien, and catches the last twigs of my homes being blown into oblivion. Messieurs et dames, boys and girls, men and women, non-conformers and non-believers, gender X and gender equals, we've reached the end of this special episode of Eat the Storms, the poetry podcast. 
My name is Damien B. Donnelly and I've been your host and producer today and I would like to say a huge thank you to you all of the listeners for tuning in and for indulging me in this trip down memory lane, this journey from here in Ireland to Paris and back again. My debut, full collection Enough, was published today the 29th of August 2022 by the Hedgehog Pro 2 Press. So a huge thank you to Mark Davidson for making once again my poetic dreams come true. I am delighted over the moon, honoured and so proud to be holding in my hands this collection. A collection of not only poetry but also a collection of my photographs of a city that captured my heart from the age of 22. The book is now available from my website, that's D-E-U-X-I-E-M-E-P-E-A-U-Poetry.com, Poetry.com. If you order it from there, you'll also get a signed copy. Along with that, you also get a special limited edition postcard pack with my photographs and poems printed on the back of them. Of course, you can also order from Amazon. Now we're almost at the end of season five here at Eat the Storms. We'll be back with you again at the end of September for a very special episode celebrating the inaugural issue of the Storms, our new journal of poetry, prose and visual arts that had its launch here in Dublin on the 21st of August this month. Before that, though, on the 10th of September at 7 p.m. GMT in your living room, we are coming to you loud and proud as we have our live Zoom international launch to celebrate the storms again, our new journal. So until then, merci beaucoup. It has been a pleasure to share this time with you. Thank you so much for your indulgence. And I'm going to leave you now with just one last poem. This is called Qui de Mejusserie. There's a part of me, there, still, with you, below the bridge, by the river, smiling. There's a part of me, there, still, with the water rushing, time flowing by the bridge, drowning. There's a part of you, in me, still. Regardless of time, breath, bridge, regardless of the water I drown in, there's a part of you, there's a part of me still watching the water looking for reflection of where we lost our course 